everybody, this is Diane and Langdon, the podcast where we talk about various forms of media, continuing with Full Metal Alchemist, the 2003 anime adaptation. I am Diane, I am an archaeologist based in D.C. And I'm Langdon, I am a comedian based in D.C. And today we are going to be looking at the 13th episode of Full Metal Alchemist, Full Metal vs. Flame. Yep, so, so far uh, we've met our main characters, Edward and Alphonse Elric. They are brothers, they are alchemists, and when they were very young, they attempted a human transmutation to bring their mother back to life. Um, In the process, Edward lost one arm and one leg, and Alphonse lost his entire body. So Alphonse has become just a a soul bound to a large suit of armor, Mm -hmm. and Edward has gotten his arm and leg replaced with uh, some advanced prosthetics called Automail. And their goal is to get their bodies back, and they're seeking a Philosopher's Stone as a means to enhance their alchemical abilities and accomplish that. Yes, Edward Elric is a state alchemist, the Full Metal Alchemist. He works for the military, and the military runs the country. This, this is a stratocratic system. Um, he is the youngest state alchemist ever. He got his license when he was 12 years old. He is now 15. Mm-hmm. Most recently, he and his brother have been on a campaign of mischief, Going through and destroying the various cities of Lior, <laughs> Acroya, and Zenitime, they have just arrived in East City to report their findings on the Philosopher's Stone, which is none, to Edward's superior, Roy Mustang. Yes. So we, we pick up with them basically uh, having arrived in East City, and they're outside the Eastern City, uh, Eastern Command Center. It is raining, which is an important uh, motif, I guess. In Full Metal? I don't know what you would want to... At least for for some characters, it matters if it's raining. I mean, it's raining today. Edward is hesitant to go inside the Eastern Command Center because his belief is that Roy Mustang is going to be an asshole to him. He says mm-hmm. he's going to make jokes and he's going to be sarcastic and be just a jerk. The beat Edward has here is actually pretty funny. He's... he's predicting exactly what Roy Mustang is going to say. And he's going to say things like, oh, I can't see you over my paperwork. And and personally, I think that would work best if when they actually encounter Roy Mustang, all of those things are repeated verbatim. Like it, it would be a little sitcom-y, but it would be a very, it, it would be a very well done joke for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, while Edward's complaining, Alphonse kind of, he would roll his eyes if he were able, but he is a robot, so he is not able. Mm-hmm. Um, and he basically walks away from Edward, and we see him doing something in an alleyway. He's kind of hunched over there. Just We don't, we don't see what it is. Uh, but Edward's like, dude, are we going in or what? And Alphonse gets a little bit embarrassed and runs back over to his brother. Um, but before the boys can go inside the Eastern Command Center, we hear a scream from inside. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to start our action for the episode. We immediately go from there to the intro. Uh, our last time with this intro, with this specific song and yes yes it's going away yep uh if anybody cares to hear it it's called melissa it's by a band called porno graffiti Mm -hmm. uh last time you're ever gonna see the stan gang shimmy probably maybe i hope they bring it back i hope they have it in every single one yeah and just just the people change before we talk more about this episode though we both noticed with this very first scene that the animation quality appears it's way stepped up better yeah there's a lot more money in this episode than we're used to seeing in the show it definitely feels like it yeah (laughs) because we were both watching the scene and we were just like it's really smooth is this this brotherhood what's going on well done yeah it was it was it's very different um so we don't know what they were doing for the first 12 episodes of this show 
Uh, but we've we finally got some 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 quality here. Yeah, so we're very excited about that. Um, and it does continue through the episode, mm-hmm. including into the very next scene inside of Mustang's office. This scene starts with a large red-haired man on top of a locker, cowering in fear of a little black Sheba puppy. Yes. But before we can talk more about the action of the scene, it's important that we get introduced to these players. Because uh, yes. they, they're going to be mains, main characters and secondary characters throughout the rest of the series. For a while, yes. So um, we, and we've already met a few of them. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go from lowest ranked in the office to highest ranked in the office. The lowest ranked member of the Stang Gang is Master Sergeant Kane Fury. He is a small man. Uh, he has black hair and glasses. And his specialty is communications and electronics. Mm-hmm. We have Warrant Officer Vado Fallman. He has gray hair and a long, very angular face. Um, and he mm-hmm. works primarily in records. But he's also just a bit of a pencil pusher. Um, and yeah. then we have second... Well, well, what, what does warrant officer mean? So a warrant... So basically, when you go into the military, there are distinct... I mean, not branches, but there's there's different tiers of rank. And so your very base tier is your enlisted members. Um, and your enlisted members will include anybody from a private all the way up through a uh, master sergeant. So mm-hmm. master sergeant is the highest enlisted rank. After master sergeant, you can either get a commission and become a commissioned officer, which basically means you have a command, um, or you can go the warrant officer route. And the warrant officers are officers, but they're officers by warrant. So a master sergeant could easily be promoted to a second lieutenant, but they could mm-hmm. also just as easily be promoted to warrant officer. A warrant officer is technically lower than a second lieutenant and higher than a master sergeant, mm-hmm. even though a master sergeant can promote directly to a second lieutenant. So it's technically right. just it's... a separate branch that is lower ranked than your commissioned officers. They're warrant officers because they're not officers by commission. They're officers by warrant, which basically means they are pencil pushers. That is all they do. They don't really do battle. They just do like office jobs is there a whole separate path for a warrant officer to go down there are several different warrant officer ranks um i don't believe that his is ever specified but they're they're like it's not as varied as as the commissioned Mm -hmm. officers uh but eventually a warrant officer if they choose to stay in the military will receive an actual commission because there's a point in commissioned officers where you don't you don't see battle anymore anyway so like there's a point in there too um Sorry for the tangent. Go ahead. But anyway, after him, we have Second Lieutenant Hammonds Breda. He is a rotund man uh, with red hair, and he is the one who is scared of dogs. Yes. He... Well, he's also always drawn eating, yes. which I feel like is super rude. But <laughs> not in this show. But when Arakawa draws him, she's always he's always got like a sandwich in his. He's hand. always got a sandwich. He loves sandwiches. Uh, but he who works doesn't? as an intelligence. And then we have Second Lieutenant John Havoc. Um, he is, we've met him before in the show. Mm-hmm. He has blue eyes and kind of the shock of blonde hair on his head. And he's always got a cigarette in his mouth. He's the one who yelled at Edward, at Major Edward Elric, who is his superior, um, and told him all about the State Alchemist program. The yeah. man who knows everything about State Alchemist is, is uh, yeah, I was John about to say, he's, Havoc. He's really our expert on... Jesus. Anyway... John Havoc is what we call the officer in charge. And what this basically means is that when Mustang is out of the office, Havoc runs the show when it comes to 
non-office administration issues. So mm-hmm. if it comes to actually moving troops or, or taking yeah. command, he is the officer in charge. Um, in the manga, he actually talks several times about the men that he commands. So he is he is a commanding officer. Then, actually higher ranked above him, we have First Lieutenant Riza Hawkeye, who is the only woman in the Stang Gang. She is blonde. Uh, we see her, I believe, for the first time here with her signature hairdo, which is she's yeah. got it pinned back and and just kind of pinned back in her head and with a clip. Um, and you say first time with her new hairdo because we have seen with her standard hairdo, but because we have seen her a few times before in some of the flashback episodes. Yes, uh, but she this is our first time to see her in this standard hairdo, and we're going to see her for a long time in it. Yeah, she is uh, Roy Mustang's adjutant, which basically means that she is an office administrator. She doesn't have a command herself. She is a commanding officer to many of these men in the room. She is their direct superior, mm-hmm. but she doesn't herself have troops that she commands. She is literally an office administrator. She runs the day-to-day tasks within Mustang's office that keeps it functioning monetarily, keeps it functioning as a system. Um, mm-hmm. And she also is the person who wipes Mustang's ass when he needs it, which is a lot. So Every, every time he poops, right? <laughs> <laughs> then we have Colonel Roy Mustang, who is not present but he is he is the commander of this little unit of the Stang Gang. Yeah, and importantly, a lot of those descriptions, especially as far as their characters and what they do in the office, that's stuff that we know from reading the manga. It's not they don't go into it a ton in this episode. I assume they'll get into everybody's thing a little bit more because it's kind of baked into the story at certain points. But but we'll see because we know that we're we're about to start deviating pretty quick. I think. I hope. Back to the scene at hand, uh, Breda is cowering from this little dog. Uh, Fury is the one who found the dog, and he's brought him in because it's raining. He's, he's sad. He doesn't want to see his yeah. little puppy alone in the rain. Uh, but nobody can take the dog because they're not allowed in the military dorms. So mm-hmm. he's basically brought the dog into the office, and he's hoping and praying that someone will volunteer to take this dog uh, before the end of the day. Havoc volunteers to take the dog because, he's, <laughs> because he says that they're good for stir-fry, uh, and he notes that they raise dogs for eating out in the east. So now we, now we know what Den was for in Hawkeye episode three. immediately takes the dog from him and is like, we're going to find another owner. To which Havoc says, I was just joking. Because he he was joking. He's he's a class clown. Yeah, it looked pretty tasty. No. Nice and tender. Um, after this, Edward El- Elric and Alphonse, they enter the room. Hawkeye greets them. Mm-hmm. And then there's a loud meow that emits from Alphonse's middle region. Yes, and the boys run out. They, they kind of peek around the door in the first place because I think they're just like, is Roy here? Is Roy here? Yeah. Uh, but they're about to enter He's and not. the meow immediately makes them like, Mm-mm, bye. Yep. But we go back then into the hallway, and Alphonse has managed to put a cat inside of himself. We have finally stuffed a thing inside of Alphonse. Yes, which I know you've been waiting for it. I have. That's like, well, and, and you've talked about it before. Like that is a very useful and good application of Alphonse's hollow body. Yeah, it's um, fun. He's it's... constantly using it in the manga. Mm-hmm. And sometimes to hide cats, sometimes to hide people. Yeah, just to hide really anything. Um, Alphonse is, is, is great. Use his hollowness, please. Yeah. Um, and Edward tells Alphonse that they cannot keep the cat, and Alphonse needs to put it back mm-hmm. where he found it, which would be in the ring. Yeah, Alphonse is devastated by this, and he runs off crying, and he's saying, you're not, you're not human, you're, you're cruel. Yeah. Uh, 
And it's interesting to note, and they did this in the first scene as well, uh, Arakawa, when she draws the manga, she often uses a lot of, like, cartooning. Um, mm-hmm. So, so especially with Alphonse, because his armor doesn't allow for a lot of expression. So she has kind of this thumb-looking shape that she'll draw for him that she can put whatever she wants on. Um, and it's used to great comedic effect. We've talked a lot about Arakawa as a comedian, I guess. Or, or just the sense that Full Metal is a very, very funny manga to read. And they haven't really attempted to duplicate that here. They haven't mm-hmm. really tried for humor. But in this episode, there's already been several beats where they've done this cartooning and this emotion with Alphonse. And they've done these comedy jokes like Breda's on top of the locker. Alphonse is running and crying. Yeah. The cat itself, I think, is just a funny idea. Um, they tried a couple similar things a few times earlier. But here, it's really working for them. It's really hitting in mm-hmm. a way that it hasn't yet. Um, and yeah. and the, the improved animation certainly aids that. From that scene, they take us to a little flashback, just a really quick flashback of the boys as they were growing up, back when Alphonse and Edward still had their full bodies, yeah. uh, and when their mother, Trisha was alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we see Edward this time has a little cat that he found out in the rain on the farmhouse they live in, um, and we see their mom, Trisha, just kind of shaking her head, and she's like, no, we can't keep it. This is <laughs> so goofy, though. Yeah, because like, a farm you live cat, on a you, farm. Right. Really, on a farm, you just drop the cat outside your door and it becomes your cat, Exactly. Right? It just stays around and hunts mice and yeah. bugs for you. You don't even have to feed it. You just, like, pet it sometimes. Why wouldn't you want it? <laughs> Whatever. But she apparently tells him, no, we can't keep the cat outside mm-hmm. where it can kill mice that might get into our stores. It's, it, just, no. Um, but but that, that's all there is, yeah. <laughs> that's all that happens in the flashback. That is. But then we get into Mustang's office where Mustang does not repeat Edward's comments from the first scene of the episode, which big miss for me uh, because I felt like it would have been quite nice to get that aspect of Mustang's character. That's like his sense of humor is 90% dad jokes. So like if we were to get that as Edward, like actually knowing Mustang that well, that would have really had a lot of payoff. Yeah. But he could be like, Edward, where? I can't see you over my paper. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but Mustang confronts Edward about his misadventures, like driving Father Cornella out of Lior. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a flashback to Father Cornella's fight. And then he tells us that... Um, From episodes one and two. Lior is now under the control of Eastern Command Center. Right. Ba- basically as a direct result of what... Of the, the kind of un- instability that Edward caused. Was it not before... <laughs> Does this stratocracy not have military control over its own geographic territory? So, so I would have. This assumed... is an incompetent fucking military. No. If they don't have control over their own goddamn country within their own, what do you mean? Lior is in the east. Why doesn't the east have control over it? I don't. I don't understand this. I think this is stupid. <laughs> I think this is a really stupid thing to be like, oh, because Edward did this, now we can control Lior. Like, yeah, well, what? Well, it doesn't even, it, it's <laughs> what not are you even, talking about? I don't even know if it's so much like now we can control Lior, but like now we have to because there's no other ruler there. But like the military was supposed to be in charge in the first place is, right. is your whole point. So the thing is, this is different in the manga. The, it's not so much that it comes under control of the military, but there are riots and yeah. so the Eastern military is dispatched to quell them. Right. Like, they already have control over the city, but the few officers that they have stationed in that area can't control the riots themselves, and so Mustang sends more soldiers. Um, yeah. And they do actually 
restore peace in the city for a time. Um, but this is this is annoying. It, then, it's, it's just weird that they didn't have even it seems like a military presence there. Like yeah. the, the idea that there are cities in east in the east region of in a mistress. Yes, yes, in the whole country that are not under military control. It just doesn't make any sense. With what are you talking about? A stratocratic government. Um, oh my god. Uh, but then we get more flashbacks. We get a flashback to Mugwar's death in Zenitime. We get mm-hmm. a flashback to Akroya when Siren is, is stripping for the camera. Mm-hmm. And then also her smile as she just accepts her death. Um, <laughs> but she's then, not dead. No, she which, which confused the heck out of me. Because, like, Edward left Father Cornello in a pretty bad place. And he did end up dying. Yeah, so not we, because see, of we see Father Cornello get punched by a statue. Yep. We see Mugwar die. have a boulder fall straight on top die. of him and straight up die. We see Siren accept her death, but she's not actually dead. Right, it's, um, from, it's from a really, really weird beat in that episode where Edward makes this big fist to, like, grab her. And you see as the fist is closing, she, like, turns to it, and she's just like, I'm oh. gonna die now. And she smiles and okay. sweetly. Um, it's very bizarre, but then Mustang asks Edward if Siren really is hot under her mask. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with it, too. <laughs> that's a, that's a Roy Mustang that's a Roy thing to Mustang ask. That's a Roy Mustang thing to ask. Yep, that's, that's right up his alley. Oh. Um, Edward is like, I get your point. You know everything we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Roy Mustang tells Edward, hey, why don't you, uh, settle down for a while? Get married. Have, have, a, baby. have a baby. <laughs> no, it, not, not... He doesn't mean it in that way, but he does tell him, like, hey, settle down, hang yeah, out here for I, I, a minute. Yeah, I think it's just in, like, a, hey, can you cool it? You're making, you're giving me a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. Because basically, and Edward's whole thing is, like, we have this goal. We want to get our bodies back, and we're not going to let anything stop us. And Roy Mustang, in the past, has been the person who's been, like, get your ass moving. Yeah, Don't yeah. get hung up. Don't get complacent. Right. And he's also very often the person who who pushes that out the door and gives him information on how to keep going. So mm-hmm. he's he's quite supportive of that goal. So if he's telling him, hey, fucking cool it, then like, yeah. there's but, something but, going on. But when Edward protests, he basically says, look, you're not finding the Philosopher's Stone. In, in, in a way that to me implied that he's like, maybe it's time for you guys to kind of give up and and in, in my opinion start doing some research that could actually be beneficial to the military considering perhaps. you're an enlisted soldier basically perhaps i i choose not to interpret it that way but maybe um edward explains the most recent clue that they've gotten which was in Zenitime, someone told them about a man named dr marco who healed people with what upon description seems like alchemy yes and edward approaches Roy basically saying the military should know somebody who has that kind of skill. Mm-hmm. Somebody who's able to take this previously unheard of disease and cure people of it. Mm-hmm. Definitely you guys have some information about that. Yeah. But before the conversation can continue, Reza Hawkeye enters, followed by Boss Grand, Brigadier General Boss Grand, and a full regiment of soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, some of well, a couple of whom we recognize. One, we haven't met yet in the show, but it's Alex Lewis Armstrong. Yeah, he's great. Um, he's one of my favorites. And the other one is Maze Hughes, who we met uh, a few episodes ago. He's he's a good friend with Roy Mustang, and he kind of gives Roy Mustang a, like, look, sorry, buddy, shrug. Boss Gron tells us that, they're, that the military is going to be using Eastern Command Center as Central Command Center for a little while. 
which Roy Mustang had no idea about. And that's kind of crazy to me because they've brought so many people yeah. from Central Command that that is something you want to notify mm-hmm. another officer of, especially if they have like a role in the, the daily workings of a command center. If, if your Fuhrer is coming, you want him to be like, all right, let's get security top notch. Let's make sure that we have enough food in our cafeteria to feed these people. Let's make sure that all of these things are running appropriately. And they just don't tell him. The Fuhrer. Oh, that's right. Because as soon as Bradley says, or as soon as um, Boss Ground says that, Bradley enters the room. Yes. Fuhrer King Bradley. Fuhrer President King Bradley. <laughs> Fuhrer President King Dictator Bradley. <laughs> uh, the the Fuhrer of Amestris, King Bradley, enters the room behind Boss Grand. Um, yeah. And his presence there, to Diane's point, is, is a huge deal. Because, it's a huge deal. It's something that you want to prepare for. Right. He's the most powerful person in the whole country. Yeah. Why didn't they notify Mustang so he could prepare? <laughs> I, I choose to believe that they notified Grumman? Grumman? Grumman. Grumman. I choose to believe they notified Grumman. And didn't and Grumman was just like Roy doesn't. I mean, he'll be fine. Yeah, he'll figure it out. I don't... Well, maybe we'll get the scoop on what happened with the the ball being dropped there. Um, <laughs> but so that kind of sets up some of the drama that I assume will be playing out for. Uh, we, we'll learn more about it this episode, but I assume we'll play it out for the next few episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other interesting thing that happens this scene because after King Bradley enters, it wraps up pretty quickly. But he's followed by it looks like an assistant of his who looks just like. Edward and Alphonse's mom, Trisha. Dead ringer. Yeah. Dead ringer. Yep. So that's why we had that flashback earlier was just to reintroduce this is what this is what their mom looks like. Yeah, that, that's um, the whole point of it. Uh, but it, but it works to that end. Um, so I can't I can't really knock them for it, and it only stands out because we're taking notes on the show and being like, why is this scene here? Why is this scene here? Why is this scene here? Yeah. So I do, I'm not knocking them for using the flashback at all. It is a little odd, but they have to have something so that when this woman shows up. And Edward has a reaction. He's shook, as you put it. <laughs> he is um, shook. Uh, he's very, very disturbed by this, which totally justified. So Bradley's here. He's got a woman who looks like Edward's mom. Uh, and a bunch of soldiers from Central are going to mm-hmm. be in East City for a bit. Yes. Cut to the cafeteria. There's about 150, would you say? 150 to 200, yeah. yeah uniformed officers in this cafeteria. And Havoc and Breda are kind of peering over the counter in the kitchen, looking out at them. And they notice that all of these officers have a silver watch chain. So they're all state alchemists. Right. And I think one of them even wonders, did they just bring state alchemists? Or maybe that's something that we wondered. Yeah. And these are like just our state alchemists from Central, which means that there must be, if we account for Central, South, East, West, and North, then there must be a good 500 to... Perhaps a thousand state alchemists in the country, which is crazy, especially because I thought only like one or two people pass per year. I think they told us that explicitly. I feel like then how can they possibly have this many? Some of them are 500 years (laughs) old. Some of them are obviously 500 Uh, years old. But like, also, I'm, I'm, I really thought that the state alchemist problem was super small and elite to the point that every state alchemist could maybe not like list on the fly every other state alchemist yeah but if they were given like a directory with all their pictures they could name them um, you know like astronauts or definitely something. i i pictured I, i've always pictured there being fewer than 200 state alchemists yeah i always pictured it being very small very elite 
we were wrong. <laughs> yeah, apparently it's different here, even though they told us only one or two people pass a year. The other interesting thing, and, and this I'm willing to accept with a lot more leniency, but all of these state alchemists are uniformed. And we know, because Show Tucker never wears a uniform, Edward obviously never wears a uniform, we know that being a state alchemist does not require you to be in uniform. Yeah. Or even to have the same responsibilities as a typical soldier. It, it's really a research grant. Yes, it is. But, I mean, like, you hold a rank equivalent to major, and if they mm-hmm. say, march, you march. And, and I'm sure Edward has I'm sure has everybody has one. Mm-hmm. But he I probably just think keeps it at Winry's house. I think it's interesting, then, that apparently Boss Grodd sent out a memo to every state alchemist in Central, because I can't imagine if there are this many state alchemists and they only admit one or two a year that... that I, I don't know. Judging by the number of the room, this has to have been Bradley telling every state alchemist, all right, suit up, we're going out east. Like, yeah, but I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I, I, I'm not willing to accept the numbers. Yeah, sure. That's the core of it. In the cafeteria, Maze Hughes is catching up with Edward. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're buds a little bit. I mean, he's showing Edward pictures of his young daughter, Alicia, who's three now. He's the definition of, like, an ecstatic dad. He he loves his daughter. Yes, he does. He's also been promoted. He was a major previously, but he's now a lieutenant colonel. And he's also been promoted inside of his own department, the investigations department. So he is specifically in charge of court-martials now. Which I guess means that his job is investigating for the prosecution in a court-martial. A court-martial is literally a judicial court um, in which you try members of a military for offenses against military law. It is it Within the military, if you commit a crime against military law, you are tried outside of a standard court. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is uh, basically, I guess what this means is that he gathers information for prosecution. He accidentally lets it slip during their conversation that, quote, the big wigs are all trying to run from Central. Mm. But we keep, we don't learn much more about that. Um, Edward brings up Marco, uh, and he thinks that Roy Mustang is hiding information about Dr. Marco. Yeah. And he almost certainly is, because yes. Boss Grand approaches, uh, and Boss Grand cuts an impressive figure. He's a very, very large man with an impeccably groomed pointy mustache. <laughs> uh, and he basically walks up to the table, and he's like, did you say Marco? And everybody stops what they're doing and turns around to listen, because he's so loud. Yeah, and he's like, But you it mean, also looks really funny. You mean the deserter, Marco? It, it looks hilarious, as, as people stop everything they're doing to listen to him. Right, while well, he talks about this sensitive military matter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Marco was part of the military, but he deserted during something called the Eastern Rebellion. Uh, we also yes. know it as the Ishvalan Rebellion or the Ishvalan Massacre. Or Ishvalan War. Ishvalan War, there's, a few other things. Yeah, it's got a lot uh, of names. And we're going to learn a lot more about it, I think, next episode. But very soon. Um, so, Marco was, so Marco was part of the military and he deserted. That's really the important takeaways here. Uh, yeah. We get a quick scene in Mustang's office where Ed asks him again about Dr. Marco and Mustang again denies that he has any knowledge about it. Mm-hmm. So Edward takes off to the library. Yeah. And Edward starts looking through books. And books. Through, through, through books. Printed books. Just he books must, that have been printed and bound. He must for be the Dr. world's Marco. fastest reader, though. Yes. And he tells us that all records of Dr. Marco have been erased from 
From just books, though. Like, honestly, if you're looking for records, he's in the wrong goddamn room. Mm -hmm. But they have erased Dr. Marco from all books. Don't know about any other physical records, like files or dossiers. I'm just spitballing here. But, um... It's also possible, though, that he's specifically looking for research that Dr. Marco did. Because he knows, or he suspects that Marco's an alchemist. Yeah. So maybe he just went to the M section of the alchemy library. <laughs> but like another solution would be go to the archives room oh, I, and oh, find his find his address. Oh, I, I don't disagree with you. <laughs> uh, what, whatever the case may be, he's very upset about this. But also, maybe he just never published anything worthwhile. Like maybe he just never got his shit together and published a book. There are plenty of researchers who just never publish a book. I don't think that's the case with state alchemists. Has Edward ever published a book? Has Mustang Think ever about published? It. <laughs> has Mustang ever published a book, Langdon? I, I really... Has Mustang ever written, <laughs> taken the time to write, proofread, edit, get get the query, and publish a book? Has Barack Obama ever written a book? Done all the work to write the book? He's ghostwritten he... a book. But... Well, that's what I'm saying. Maybe but who's got a ghost write? Oh, Hawkeye. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, has Roy Mustang ever written a book? No. Are there any books published as Roy Mustang? Maybe. <laughs> um, I've always found it interesting that he uh, that he keeps passing his certification, but has not shared the secret of flame alchemy with the military. Yeah, I think he just does other shit. What a what an asshole. <laughs> and you think they just keep him on because like one day he's gonna run out of shit. <laughs> Maybe, but also I think they keep him on because he's got a very specialized ability that's they extremely don't, useful and they don't want to let that... I think he They passes. don't want him as an enemy. No, they don't want him as an enemy and they don't want him as a civilian either. Because then they can't command him to go blow up things. Like, as long as he can continue to be able to use his flame alchemy, I yeah. think they're just going to keep him on and be like, uh, he could turn in a drawing of a puppy dog and they just be like, he's in. That's probably that's what happens. <laughs> Um, he's just like turns Nina, in a crayon Nina, sketch. I need you to make me this drawing. Uh, <laughs> he turns in a crayon sketch of his of his team every year. <laughs> That's it. Except this year. Oh yeah. And what I mean when I say that is Edward's very upset with Mustang. He, he says he wants to flatten him. Hughes enters at this time, um, and he approaches Edward to say that because of the situation going on with Central Command being temporarily relocated to Eastern Command, they're going to have their state alchemist assessments there. And Edward uh, gets an idea, and he requests to have a special assessment. And he turns to the camera, and he grins wickedly, um, scaring Maze Hughes. Um, and also, just to note, Alphonse still has a cat. Yes, there, there's one or two meows in this scene. So, th yeah. so he has not done as requested. No. Um, but that brings us to our commercial break. Yep. After commercial break, we are back in Mustang's office, and Havoc, the all-knowing about state alchemists, um, if you don't know why we're harping on this, it's because in manga canon, Havoc is a huge dum-dum. Mm -hmm. he's, he's just, he literally introduces himself by saying, or like, in a <laughs> flashback, the first a dumb -dumb. time that, the first time, like, at his youngest point in the manga, because it's not exactly told in order, but at his youngest mm -hmm. point... In the manga, he says, I'm not very smart. Took I really struggled in the academy with grades, but like, I'm loyal. So, <laughs> like, that's his bit. He's not a smart man. He's not a guy who would know a lot of information about 
anything. Yeah. Especially State Alchemist. So that's why this is so ridiculous to me. Anyway, Havoc, who is all knowing about the State Alchemist program here, <laughs> informs us of how this special assessment is going to work. Mm-hmm. Two alchemists have a mock fight, and then they are assessed based on their performance. Right, it's a battle fight. assessment. And then the men start talking about who is going to win. Yep. Havoc says that you can't really count out the full metal alchemist. Um, because everybody's pretty sure that Roy would destroy would him. Would destroy Edward, but the thing is, Roy is best at a distance. He's not built for hand-to-hand combat or close-quarters combat, mm-hmm. which will be interesting when we talk about this a little bit later in this episode, um, that he's not good for close-quarters combat. His specialty is distance. But um, if, if Edward can get close enough, then he will have an advantage. The issue is that Mustang's probably not going to let Edward even get close enough. It's going to be over before Edward can get within distance of it. Because Mustang has probably more experience as a fighter. He has a lot of experience. Certainly Edward has had these little skirmishes in his adventures, but Mustang was on the field and and killing people. Mustang is a soldier. Yeah. Um, And so, but we get Hawkeye. She's sitting at her desk and she has just a book open. I don't um, think it's for work. I no, think I think she's reading. reading for fun. I like to think that Hawkeye keeps a book at her desk at all times for like lunch breaks or something. Yeah. And today Fury brought a dog into the office and she just went, nothing's getting done today. What, she just pulled normally, out a book and didn't What normally gets day. done there? I don't think anything gets done in that office. I think they just do like busy work or mm-hmm. pretend to be working. I honestly think it's a bullshit job where they just like get paid yeah. to look busy. I, I don't think that the book is for her lunch breaks is my, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. I think it's for most of the I time. I think she might, though, if anybody in that office actually does their job, she's the one yeah. who is actually working the most. Oh, for sure. But anyway, um, uh, but then she tells everybody that if Mustang loses, she's heard he's going to have to keep a cat. Yep. This is the greatest day of her life. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but she's, so she's, she's got this like smile on her face as she's reading. Just like, yeah, he's going to have to keep a cat. Um, yeah. And, and then, then Fury's like, oh, I guess we can't give him this dog now. But then enter Mustang, who has got this look on his face. So he's, he's just already over entering the room and he's so done <laughs> yeah. um and he sees the dog and he walks up to it and, and oh my god great joke he, so, he basically grabs this dog from fury and just like stares at it inspects it and he says enid enid which is so <laughs> fucking funny so he picks it up and he says a dog <laughs> that's great uh which but it works Japanese it's it's a Japanese pun it's and it's very like, it's, it's very it's funny. Inu, um, which is dog, and then Ine, which is like that, that's that's great. very nice. Yeah. And and so or like how nice. <laughs> but it's it's a pun. It's it's punny. Like it's you very, get it? It's funny. a pun. It's, and it's funny because it's you're you're better with Japanese than I am, because I heard the like the, the phonic parallel and didn't uh register that it was an intentional like pun. And you started just dying. And I was so like, like, he likes dogs. What's so the like, big deal? I've, I've, I've translated Japanese jokes before. And I can promise you, with everything that I am, that 60% of Japanese humor is puns. No. <laughs> yes. It's so just pun-based. They're losing oh. points rapidly for me. <laughs> um, that's so interesting. I know you don't like I see, puns. No, I, I see so much... Uh, 
anime where they'll do a joke and I'll be like, that's a really weird stilted comedic beat. And now I guess I just need to study Japanese better. It's just the language. It, or like if you read manga a lot of times, if you read it translated, the translator will put a note in there. Like a yeah. TN to be like, okay, here's how this actually works as a joke. I think that's weak especially, sauce But it's, it's especially if you cannot translate yeah. it. Like there are some things you just, you stare at and you're just like, fuck it. There, <laughs> just, there's, I found an excuse. There's one show, bonus points to any uh, any listeners who can figure out what it is. But uh, one of the characters picks up this like stuffed hippopotamus oh that she God. tripped over. And she's like, I'll turn you upside down and into an idiot. And I was like, what are you talking about? But apparently it's because the word hippo is kaba. And the word for like, you're stupid is baka. It's, well, okay, you, you got upset, but now you're laughing. So there's like a translator's note that's like, it goes like all around this panel because they had to fit it into the margins. And I was like, all right, guys, you know, there's no, there's no way to turn that into an English joke. I don't, I don't think. It's really, that's one of the hardest things to localize is humor. Yeah. It's so oh, yeah. hard to translate humor. I, I you, You're a translator when you can translate jokes. When people translate poetry, I think that's got to be the most difficult translation you can do. It's 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 rough. Um, um, but, but jokes are a very uh, word dependent, comedy is a very word dependent art form. So yes, it would be very difficult. So uh, anyways. Mustang gets this dog, Inu, Ina, and then Fury's like, you really think that dogs are great? And Mustang's like, yes, dogs are loyal. They obey orders. They don't complain. They don't require a salary. They are truly man's best friend. Ski he, days. He loves dogs. Yes, he yeah. absolutely loves dogs. Um, and he is he is confident, however, that, that Fury Bradley is not going to allow this fight because of battle assessment. No, he can't. He can't fight a kid. Like, it's a shame, but no, it's just not going to happen, guys. And then we cut, cut to, to yeah. wherever the hell in the headquarters Bradley is. He's in some office somewhere. We're not, it's not really specified. Um, Bradley loves the idea. He thinks it sounds very interesting. Yes, and Roy tries to protest his way out of it, and Bradley's just like, good luck, fight well. Um, yeah. um, <laughs> that's the whole scene. You're, you're 100% correct. Also, the Trisha lookalike is there, but like that's it. That's the scene, the end. Yeah, but definitely Roy went to Bradley to be like, I don't want to fight Full Metal. And Bradley's like, fight Full Metal? Fight Full Metal. <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they leave whatever room Bradley's in, and they're, they're walking down the hallway. Roy, uh, Riza, and Havoc. Roy, yes. Hawkeye, Mustang, Hawkeye, and Havoc. I gotta pick a, pick either first name pick or last name. Yeah. <laughs> Mustang, Hawkeye, Havoc, walking down the hallway. Um, and Mustang's like, I, okay, I'll go along with it for now, I guess. But one day, I'll be the Fuhrer. And I'll call the shots. Mm -hmm. um, Hawkeye very briefly is like, you might want to not talk about uh, treason in the halls. <laughs> it's like, fair. Um, and they're like, why do you even want to, or Havoc, someone's like, why do you even want to be the Fuhrer? Um, and they, the classic bit, Roy Mustang says, when I become the Fuhrer, all female personnel will wear tiny mini skirts. It's a beat that's it's very popular in the fandom. Yes. Um, and and the, even the English partly voice because actor, of of Travis Willingham, yeah, who is the English dub actor, it. he crushes this moment. He's amazing. You just um, YouTube Roy Mustang tiny mini skirts. You'll find it. You'll it's, find it immediately. He does an excellent excellent job with it. It's and, it's a super shonen beat, but it's yeah. also played a little bit like. Like a magical Shoujo, girl transformation. Like, like a magical yeah. girl transformation. Because the, the camera, camera like, spins angle. around him and he's like posing and like thrusting. Yes. It's, 
It's crazy. All it's missing is the little Sailor Moon yeah, eye gesture. Yes. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure we do get an eye twinkle. I think we do. But um, Havoc is is thrilled by this, and he, he, he hugs Mustang's leg and swears he's going to follow him forever. Yeah. This is a weird way to do this beat because because the mus- the miniskirts thing is something that Arakawa wrote, but it's from a four comma. Right, it's from a, it's from a non canon comedic which, extra beat that yes. she has. I mean, she also wrote a four comma in which Hawkeye uses a giant magnet to pull Edward and Alphonse <laughs> into an office. So you know, take every like a giant like U shaped magnet. So like take everything here with a grain of salt if it's a four comma. But I guess we're making this one canon why not alphonse one-year-old Whoa. <laughs> is alphonse one-year-old one. canon now too alphonse one-year-old is a four comma that she wrote where, where they're like going through just like, google alphonse one-year-old just google alphonse one-year-old and you'll see the most delightful picture you've ever seen in your life it's great um <laughs> but that's that's part of the reason why i don't like this inclusion in here because well, like we'll, yeah we'll talk about that so for sure goofy. anyway we'll move on um well no we we should talk about that now because because we need to contrast the scene with how it happens in the manga okay because sure. the, the important beat of this scene i think is covered here but it's way overshadowed by this mini skirts beat yes yes so the the beat is mustang talking about how he wants to be the fear this is this is mm-hmm. the first time in this anime that we're really getting his full ambition in the light yeah um in the manga this scene also is very important to the same effect however it happens in a completely different setting um it doesn't happen in the bold ass hallway it happens in the privacy of his office um and havoc is kind of like careful sir people might think you're spouting treason and mustang's like havoc what do you think we're fucking doing (laughs) yeah (laughs) we we are dude (laughs) i mean he doesn't say it quite that yeah, abruptly yeah, yeah. but it, it's very much to the point of like okay and right um, mustang's relationship with the military is complicated and very. we got we got into it a little bit when we talked about like they don't want him as a civilian they want no. him in the military no he's but, he is a maverick but he's a maverick because his he's not a he's not a fan of the way things are done yes and and he very much wants those things to change and he is the type of person who doesn't see that happening if he doesn't get directly involved yes um but this brings us to the main event of the episode which is this battle assessment uh, yeah. full metal versus flame it's fun it, it is fun um we're out on the parade ground we see uh, all the soldiers gathered to watch this um king bradley is there the woman who looks like trisha is there mm-hmm. uh all the soldiers that we've seen so far are there Maze Hughes is acting as the MC for this fight, which, which I assume he volunteered for as soon as he heard the fight was happening. Oh, yeah. He was just like, I want to do it. Pick me. Um, <laughs> he's getting the crowd hyped up, and he's got this big picture that he's got under a tarp, and he's finally ready to reveal it. He pulls the tarp off, and it's just this enormous picture of his daughter, Alicia. And he's like, it's her birthday! Well, it's not her birthday, but she is three years old now. It's not even her birthday? It's not even her birthday. Ridiculous. Um, everybody boos him. I think the picture falls on him. <laughs> yes, I don't, it does. I don't know. Um, yes, they throw things at him and the picture yes. until it falls on top of him. And the next time we see him, he's all bandaged up. Mm-hmm. And he continues to MC and he announces Roy Mustang, who is met with jeers. Mostly jeers, yeah. Yes. Um, one, my favorite of which is give me back my girlfriends. Because <laughs> um, he's a womanizer. Yeah, yeah, notorious. It's, it's great. Notorious. Um, Hughes announces Edward, who is met, 
mostly with cheers, but some some nagging, some very friendly. I can't see him. Ha- hazing, yeah. Yeah. I can't. Good luck, Bean Sprout. Um, yeah, that's one. Edward um, gets pissed at them calling him short. Okay, yeah. someone says he looks like a grade schooler. I I do have an issue with this, and it more comes down to um, the sound editing when Edward turns to yell at the crowd. Um, the noise from the crowd completely cuts. So it's like Edward is yelling into silence. Mm-hmm. And that's a really bad choice for me. Um, it's something that just, yeah. it doesn't, it, it would, doesn't flow well. It would never happen in real life. No, no. And it really doesn't flow well. It actually takes me out of it for a second because I'm like, what? But we're nitpicking, which is a sign that on the whole, the episode does very nicely. Yes, I do is. want to point that out. If, yeah. If we start picking on things like that. It's because we don't have much else that we can talk about. Yeah, we gotta fill um, up an hour. Yeah. You guys come here for the negative, the negativity. We're gonna provide it. The battle assessment begins. Um, if Edward wins, he wants Roy Mustang to tell him about Dr. Marco, and obviously Roy has to take the cat. But the fight starts off very quickly with Roy Mustang doing his classic snap, snap, spark, spark. Yeah. Time to light up. Immediate. Just too slow. Snap. Yep. Um, and... Um, and Edward... Kind of says, like, that's that's not fair. Uh, but Roy quotes Sun Tzu. Misquotes Sun Tzu. Misquotes. Misquotes. Um, he very frequently misquotes or misapplies Sun Tzu's Art of War. He, ha- he has heard of Sun Tzu. He's read the Spark Notes. He's got it on his bookshelf. He's never actually read it. We use this time to have Jean Havoc explain how Roy Mustang's gloves work. But to whom does he explain it? He explains it to Fury. Which is ridiculous. I hate well, it. Well, it, it's... I it, really hate it. Go, go on and explain why, why, why we feel it's ridiculous, and I'll, I'll explain my counter-argument. Because Fury is part of the Stang gang. Mm-hmm. He's one of them. Why is, why is Havoc explaining things to Fury at all? Yes, and, and you're correct looking at looking at the canon, but we both noticed during this episode that Fury feels like the the, the newest member. He feels mm-hmm. pretty green. Yeah, he does. Whatever the case may be, Havoc explains that Roy's gloves are made of a special fabric that lets him snap to create a spark, and then he uses his alchemy to actually create fire. Yes. To, to do the flame alchemy. Um and that's what he's doing right now. He's snapping in, he's snapping at Edward. Edward's running to avoid these explosions and these flames. Mm-hmm. And he runs into the crowd to get away. So you see him kind of duck down, running amidst all these other yes, military people. Yes, because he people. assumes that Roy Mustang wouldn't fire into the crowd. Which is a mistake. A mistake, because Roy Mustang gets an idea and he says, Wow, it's really hard to hit such a small target. Edward pops out, don't call me small. And Mustang fires into the crowd. Yeah, and it's really, really... Because he has really, no problem with it. Really funny beat, because you see, like, 15, like, people shoot into the air, including one guy who goes up, like, a straight like a rocket. Um, but he, he shoots directly into the crowd to get Edward, and he doesn't care about the collateral damage. In the chaos, he loses track of Edward. And as he's looking for him, while he's waiting for the dust to settle, he sees the silhouette uh, with Edward's jacket on. And he turns to it, he's about to snap, but it's a decoy that Ed's transmuted out of the ground. Mm-hmm. Complete with like a little, complete with the antenna hair, and complete with like a little tongue. Yeah. Uh, I want to know what the tongue is made out of. I don't know why this bothers you so It much. bothers me, because it moves. It flaps in the wind. So? So what did he make it out of? Everything else is made out of rock. Carbon! Carbon! Silicon. Okay. It's, okay, it's a tongue. Silicon can be floppy. Have you never seen a silicon baking dish? That's a lot of work for a tongue. 
It's Edward Elric. It's alchemy. You just gotta think it, and it happens. It's, oh. it's so <laughs> I was like, that's You're not... thinking way... Last yeah. episode, you were getting on me for thinking too hard about I get on you, like, every, every episode. And now I have to get on you for it, so... Fair, fair. I guess that's fine. This gives Edward enough time to run at Roy Mustang, um, and he's got his arm transmuted into a blade, and he uses that to slice through the transmutation circle on Mustang's right glove. Yeah. And Edward lands and transmutes a big-ass cannon. Yep. And is ready to take Mustang down. Unbeknownst to Edward, Roy Mustang doesn't show up to a fight with just one glove. He has another one on his left hand because um, he has two hands. And Unlike knows how Edward. To use. <laughs> like Edward. <laughs> Maybe that's why yeah, Edward's not right. I, think, I think that might be fair. Edward's only got the one. <laughs> um... <laughs> And he wrecks Edward's cannon, sends him flying through the air, and then Roy goes in to finish Edward, and he has this really weird flashback. Yeah, he he goes over to where Edward's laying, he stands over him, and he's got his, like, fingers cocked, cocked, I don't know. Um, He's got his fingers ready to snap, Um, and he looks down at Edward, but it's not Edward. Yes. it's, It's a young person... Who we, who we don't recognize. We've never seen this person before. And this visibly disturbs him. But this flashback gives Edward the time to get his blade up under Mustang's chin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that puts us into a, a position where it's really like... It's anybody... It's a toss-up. Right. Ed, Edward's in a strong position, but we know that Roy can deflect it. But the fight ends. Bradley comes up and he's clapping his hands. He's like, that's great. I love it. It's beautiful. You're done. You pass. Um, yes. Mustang snaps to attention. You pointed out. Yeah, immediately. immediately. He's he's the fear says it's over. It's over. Yeah. So so even though he has these aspirations, he is still he's, very deferential. He's, he's a soldier. Yeah. He knows what his job is. He well, knows what his role is. He knows his future depends what his future depends on. Yeah. It depends on behaving, really. It really does. Until an opening in line. is created. Mm-hmm. Um, Edward though wants the fight to keep going, and Bradley's just like keep going you'll destroy the whole city yeah because the, par- the parade ground is is destroyed yes this brings us into the wrap-up of our episode so our kind of our denouement beats um and then there's a couple more scenes after that so this this episode is kind of like peter jackson's return of the king where there are like 20 endings and it just keeps on ending and every time that you think you've reached the ending there's another ending it's like that <laughs> i love that movie just that's, a, out, that's so. an interesting there's like 20 different theaters of action yeah it continues to end continue, <laughs> like forever um, so our first ending scene happens on the parade ground I and mean, when we see hawkeye and alphonse they're observing uh because edward and mustang have been tasked with fixing the parade ground mm-hmm. and we hear edward doing his like clappy alchemy in the distance mustang has a shovel which I think is an accessory. I don't think he's doing anything. I think he's making Edward do all the work and then he just sighs and puts his shovel down and acts like he's working if Bradley or Boss Brown come by. That's what I was about to say. I was like, the shovel is for Bradley. (laughs) The shovel's not for for, Roy. It's only appearances. Um, But he he does heave this sigh. He does heave this big sigh and sit down on a boulder with it as Mm. if he has been working hard. Yeah. Yeah, right. Edward uses the opportunity to ask Roy Mustang, why did you hold back when in our duel? Mustang says, basically, I saw a lot of shit in Ishval. 
Yeah, he, he brings up the Ishvalan Rebellion, and he's like, I saw a lot of unpleasant stuff there. And we get a more expanded version of that flashback that mm-hmm. we had. Uh, so we cut back to, well, we cut back to the Ishval Rebellion, and we see Roy Mustang uh, in a war zone, in a, some dilapidated building, and you see that young person that we saw before, mm-hmm. same position as it was in the fight with Edward, where Roy's got his fingers ready to snap, yeah. and he's looking down at this person who's, who's really cornered. This young person has a rifle, and they're really staring at each other. Neither of them wants to be the person who makes the first move. Uh, this young person cries out. They pick up the rifle. They point it at Roy. Roy snaps. Roy snaps. And you see... It's over. You, you see his shadow kind of against the wall. Mm-hmm. You hear the flames go. You see the shadow kind of leap up and then retract. So he kills this person with using flame alchemy. And that's just a single example of one of the unpleasant things he saw in Ishval. Yes. He uses the time to say that Dr. Marco was really the most sensible person there for deserting. Yeah. And he tells Edward, maybe you'll, you can ask him about it when you meet him. So he's now seated that Marco is alive and he's probably going to give us a little bit more information in the future. Mm. But the scene ought to end there, right? Yes, but instead <laughs> Edward <laughs> says, hey, you never told me why you hesitated. Well, never mind. Right. Ah. Which is just crazy to me. Because oh my if, god. If, if you were ever with... If, if with any veteran, I was going to say a family member, but it doesn't fucking matter. And something happens that clearly triggers some kind of flashback for them. And you're like, hey, Grandpa, what happened? He's like, I saw a lot of shit in Vietnam. You just, yeah. you drop it and you go. Like, you just leave it. You don't go, but, but yeah, what but, shit, Grandpa? Yeah, what did you if, see? But if you're Edward Elric, you're like, what specifically, though? What happened? Please bring up all of your memories. I want to know exactly how you were triggered. Just, just a rude ass. Elric. Absolutely rude. Um, yeah. Our second wrap up scene happens in Roy Mustang's office, and this is obviously the wrap up of the Stan Gangs. It's, it's like between C and B plot. It's hardly B plot. It's yeah. Um, but, but a wrap up of their B plot, if you will. Um, and Hawkeye's like, all right, it's five p.m. I guess if no one else is gonna take this dog, I'll take it. Obviously, she was going to take it from the beginning. There's, there is actually a beat that is missing from this episode that is in the omake that this episode is based on, or this this plot itself is based on, um, in which Fury goes to Mustang and is like, I don't know what to do. Hawkeye's going to make me get rid of it at 5 p.m. And Mustang's mm-hmm. like, what, she said that? <laughs> okay. She's she's gonna take the dog, yeah. and and Fury's like what? And he's like no, she's she's like actually a really nice person. Yeah. Um, and um, then it, it, she dies, and Mustang's like told you. And so, but it's it's this bit that Hawkeye she's she's known since five she's known since the morning she was gonna take this dog in the end. Um, which leads me to believe though that Hawkeye there's just an unwritten rule at Eastern headquarters that if anything is in the lost and found after 5 p.m., Hawkeye takes it. Anything at all. And she's just got this room in her, like she's basically anything that gets brought into the lost and found. She's like, all right, but we got to figure out who owns it by 5 p.m. And then 5 p.m. rolls around. She's like, well, I guess it's mine now. And she's just got a spare bedroom at home full of lost shit that she's accumulated over her years in the military. Can you um, start to introduce that in the Amestrian Canada? When you write the best. next chapter, can you just like, she went to the spare room and got six eggs. I can't. 
sorry, I don't know. I was trying to think of like what she could use, but I don't want to spoil. I was thinking like upcoming jackets and umbrellas people. and pens and shit, like things. That <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I know, use. I know. I was like, what do people get from rooms? And I was like, eggs, of course. <laughs> but no, I don't. I didn't want to spoil upcoming beats in the Amestrian Candid, so I didn't want to be like she gets a god. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay. I don't know what would be in the spare room, is the point. (laughs) (laughs) Hawkeye's gonna take the dog. Yeah. And Fury's like, really, you will? And he gets excited, the dog gets excited, it jumps out of his arms, it runs around the office, and then it picks a corner of the wall to go pee-pee on. (laughs) And And Hawkeye's like, oh. But yeah, everybody's kind of like, Aww. And Hawkeye's like, and she pulls out a gun, and then fires six yeah. times at this dog. A, a, a little pistol that she has, and she's just like, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. She fires six shots at the dog. But there's with... seven bullet holes in the wall. <laughs> right, so I have to wonder how many times she pulls this gun out in the office. Uh, uh, and it's really funny, because like you see these bullet holes, and you see the dog against the wall with his hands up. Which, like... Very Arakawa beat. Very, yeah. It's Which it's it more is. of that cartooning that we talked about. Um, her explanation is that he needs discipline. And then she's like, the bathroom's this way. Black Hayate. Which Fury is is terrified of. This, well, that's, that's what she's decided to name this dog. This is also a beat that plays out differently in the manga. It's, it's another, like, single omake panel. Um, in which... It's, I believe it co- it came after chapter four, um, in which she has her dog, or not chapter four, I can't remember. Anyway, she has her dog and she's holding it and she says like, deadpan, my beloved dog's name is Black Hayate. And then you see actually Mustang in the background being like, oh my God, you're shit at choosing names. Like, well, probably sh- envisioning his own children's future, but like. <laughs> I thought it's a bad name from the beginning. From the first time I read it, I was like, that's a stupid name. It translates to Black Hurricane, right? Yes. And I, and I had always been under the impression that it was the Japanese words for Black Hurricane, which I think would be like Kuroi Hayate. Mm-hmm. But it isn't. <laughs> it's Buraku Hayate. It's the the anglicized or it's the it's the word black in English yes. translated to Japanese. It's how they would say the word. It's stupid. It's I, it's a really, really, really stupid name. Very clearly, Arakawa sat down one day and went, what is the dumbest fucking name that I can give to a Shiba Inu? She, she found it. And then it stuck. Um. <laughs> it's especially funny, though, because she's really careful with language. Or I don't know if yeah. she's really careful with language, but she's careful with language to the extent that I wouldn't think this kind of abomination could be possible. So I think your explanation that it was... That she was like, here's a joke, his name's Black Hayate, is probably right. And then yeah. people were just like, no, that's his name, for real. <laughs> um, it's a stupid name. I've always thought it's a stupid name. I think it's even stupider now. Yeah. Anyways, she takes the dog. Our next scene happens at a bar. 
Um, it's after work. Uh, it's Roy Mustang and Maze Hughes getting a drink together. They're good buds. They don't see They're each other as much. They're in uniform, though. Right. I can't think I of a single... I can't think yeah. of a single, like, person who works in a uniform that doesn't just rip it off the second that they're off the well, clock. Like, I, I, I used to work in uniform when I worked for Disney, and literally, the second you were off the clock, it was just peeling yeah. off the clothes. Like, well, that. You, you just peeled your costume off. So you could go home and just your civvies. Well, like, you remember, I worked at a restaurant where, like, you had to wear, like, a tie and, like, a full uniform. And a bar was a regular place we would go after a shift. But I promise you, we, weren't, we weren't out the door and the necktie was off. It was the first thing I did when I clocked out was yank that thing off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, no. It's it's the second that you were done with your with your requisite dress up for work it is it is on the floor you're done with it it's in a bag it's in a locker i don't know why they're in full uniform except to be like these two are military especially we already know that she has looks for all these characters she does she has civilian looks yeah Yeah, she does and even if it was just hey could have had maze in his purple shirt that you liked i do like his shirt he's a swashbuckler (laughs) um even if they they could even just have their jackets on the back of their chairs and just and be, be in like in their, their college shirts, shirts underneath. Sleeves or like, yeah, it's it's very possible. Yeah, I don't know why they're in uniform either, but especially because this means that Mustang took his jacket off to get sweaty while in quote repairing the field, and then put his, his continued to wear his uniform, his gross smelly uniform, to the bar. His jacket's of his, off when they're repairing the field. I know, but he put yeah, his jacket back, back on, on over his bar. dirty, sweaty shirt to, and kept it on at the bar. Gross. Da, um, like, dude, take but, a shower. But why are we here? To learn a little bit before our next episode. Mm-hmm. Hughes mentions that General Hall Crow, or Hakuro, if you're Netflix, has been dispatched with his men to Lior, the first city that Edward and Alphonse were in. Yeah. And at present, there's an uprising there led by the town's minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hughes is not sure if it's the same minister that Edward deposed. Yeah. And and we know that it's not. It's someone named Envy. But yes. he is wearing that minister's form. He's a shapeshifter. This minister who's there now, Envy disguises Father Cornello, has been leading the people of Lior in... in to a rebellion against the military. Yes. And Hallcrow's been sent to shut that down. Yes. Uh, our next scene happens in the streets of Central. Is, again, it's something so unusual me- to me that Mustang wouldn't know this. Because again, oh, yeah. Lior is now under the command of the East. Whatever. Right. But also... But Hallcrow's from Central. Hallcrow's right? from Central, which means that Mustang would have heard that, in the same way that he should have heard the Fuhrer was coming, that like... Central Command was taking command from him, was taking over a project from him, right. so he wouldn't continue to pour resources into it. Well, and didn't so you is say... this just another place that Grumman just drops the ball again? <laughs> Maybe. But also, didn't you say that in the manga, Mustang is the person initially in charge of quelling the rebellion? Yes, he is. Um, and, and, and that's and why should... the train episode is actually significant, because the whole reason Hal Crow's there is mm-hmm. because Mustang has actually been handling the situation very well and has actually restored peace by just not yeah. agitating people and Hallcrow comes in and is like I'm taking command back and Mustang's like fuck you but it still happens because Hallcrow outranks him and then but Mustang doesn't work out east then he works in central that's during the flashback I know and that's yeah <laughs> they definitely knew what they were doing when they made this show um two more scenes and then well three more scenes kind of anyways uh in the streets of central Edward and Alphonse 
uh, have the cat. He's in a little box now. And they say that, well, we already got our equivalent exchange, our Toka Coca, from Mustang because he gave us information about Dr. Marco. So we can't ask him to take this cat, which... That was the whole deal, though. But, like, Mustang was ever going to really take it. Yeah, Hawkeye would probably end up with the cat, too. That also implies that Edward won this battle. Yeah. Which we'll talk about. We'll talk Mm -hmm, about. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. The cat's in a little box. Edward uses alchemy to turn the box into a little bassinet in what, to me, looks like a clear violation of equivalent exchange. He turns little box, little blanket into big bassinet with lots blankets. I How that work? I don't care about that so much as the fact that if this were the real Edward Elric, that bassinet would have a bull head on it, or like yeah. demon spikes, or something yeah. to make it look, in his words, badass. I but it doesn't. A bassinet's a weird choice for him to transmute in the first place. Not I feel like really. if you went to Edward and you were like, can you make me a bassinet? He'd be like, make you a what? Yeah, um, we're, we're back in the bar again after yeah. this scene. I don't know if it's a time skip or if they're supposed to be happening. I think they're supposed to be happening at the same time. Yeah. And we're only noticing it because we're writing everything down. Yeah. Um, but back at the bar, Hughes continues to talk to Roy. And he again brings up these bigwigs who moved everybody out east. And he even says that the bigwigs conned yeah. the Fuhrer into fleeing what are, you, what are you laughing at the idea that bradley can be conned into doing oh, shit oh absolutely <laughs> I, I totally agree with you and that also brings up the question who are these big wigs we assume yeah i thought Rump- bradley was the biggest wig in the country <laughs> i thought so yeah um but but if we have to look at this show and say well bradley's getting conned by other people it would have to be boss grand mm-hmm. because he's definitely being set up as an antagonist yeah and maybe Hallcrow too. He's really the only other super high-ranking official we've right. seen. I also don't think "conned" is a great translation of that word. It 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 could really be more like pressured, um, mm-hmm. which I think is works better. But still, Bradley being pressured to do anything. Yeah. Come on. But but why? What's the reason for it? Why? Well, because they... there is a serial killer running around Central. So far, he has killed five state alchemists and staff. So we don't know if this means five state alchemists and 20 staff, if this means three state alchemists and two staff members. Right. We, we, we're not sure. We know it's five state alchemists and staff um, have been killed in Central. <laughs> I, I like which... to think it's five state alchemists and miscellaneous staff. <laughs> miscellaneous staff. And just some other people. Just, Whatever. We, we don't count those casualties. Um, but then we see the serial killer. Mm-hmm. And it's the well, guy... Yeah, we've seen him before. We've seen him before. It's the guy who killed Sho Tucker, mm-hmm. who was his first state alchemist. No. Or he not state alchemist. Tucker. He killed Nina Tucker yeah. and then decided he was going to go on a rampage and kill all the state alchemists. You're right. Which, if he's... That, that was three years ago. So if he's only managed to kill five state alchemists in three years, like, that's just running a military. Yeah, you gotta crank those numbers it's up. Just, those are rookie just a, numbers. Like, that's just the cost of having a military you just lose people sometimes so some, some serial killer right guys <laughs> right yeah so if uh, this if it took five deaths in three years to convince the fuhrer to move away from central then like imagine what they're gonna do when scar really gets going I know. <laughs> um, in central we, we get there very briefly for the end of the episode we see scar yes um, and we, we he hasn't been given a name yet but his name is scar so yes. i feel fine talking about it yes yeah um he kills a random soldier, uh, he takes off his sunglasses, he mutters East City, and then he turns to the camera, and then we get our outro. Uh-huh. Uh, so, he's he's on his way, we can assume. And, and and he's a character that I like a lot as well. 
So I'm excited to see more of him, and I'm really is... worried that they're going to do my boy real dirty. Oh, yeah. This is our last outro, uh, our last time with this outro as well. Yes, and I didn't look up the name of this song, so sorry. But no more poop face. No more Edward's poop face at the end. Yay. All right, so Langdon, <laughs> let's talk about takeaways. Absolutely. Um, first, we're going to talk about issues that we had. I, I don't have many issues with it, really. And, and we brought that up earlier because we started nitpicking. Because overall, the episode's very strong. The, the, the pacing mm-hmm. is pretty good. I think it's definitely the best episode we've seen so far. Yeah. And some of the noticeable improvements that we talked about early in the episode are definitely part of that. But it finally feels like a show that has its own, like, thing. It feels confident. It feels like it knows what it's doing. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's testing things anymore. No, it definitely now starts to feel like it knows what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have issues. Um, and one what of them... <laughs> one of them stems from the fact that Edward wins this fight um yeah I, I definitely feel like it's arguably a draw but based on some of the conversation later in terms of can we give him this cat he no it we, seems we, like we edward definitely wins yeah it definitely seems like edward thinks he wins and mm-hmm. so the thing is in the original omake chapter for this edward loses like very decidedly yeah, he loses it's the second even, that mustang blows up that cannon it's over like he wipes the floor with edward right. it is it is not a contest i mean edward's hardly even a character in the omake yeah he's really just there as an antagonist for Roy. he's he's there as a butt monkey the entire yeah, time definitely and so but but the reason that this change doesn't work for me is because it shows me that these these writers have no confidence in letting Edward lose. Yeah. Edward in this is just super strong, but he's not very smart. And I say this because his victory at the end, because otherwise, other than this ending, it plays out beat for beat as it does in the Omake chapter up until Mustang's flashback. Um, so Edward's victory, completely unearned. Because every move that Edward makes is anticipated by his opponent. And at no point... Does he actually manage to turn the tables on Mustang? Except when he rips through the glove, which again, Mustang had planned for. So he, in the end, Mustang always has the upper hand in this fight until he has a flashback. And that's why in the Omake, he wipes the floor with him. Yeah. This Edward just gets lucky. He gets lucky he gets constantly, a lu- constantly. And Mustang, he gets lucky because Roy has a PTSD flashback. And then it's presented as Edward outsmarting us Mustang, but he, he didn't outsmart him. Oh, y- he got yeah. lucky. So, so much of the fight in this anime in general relies on, on contrivance, on, on convenience, on luck. And yeah. the thing is, you can't build me an interesting story if you're building everything on luck. It feels to me like the protagonists aren't making choices that are affecting the world around them and coming back to bite them. Instead, the plot is just kind of happening to them. And it's so much more interesting to have a, a plot line in which character choices in yeah. like result in in your in your climax rather than your climax being the result of things happening to them. Like the thing is though, you couldn't reconstruct this entire fight scene. If you want to have this fight scene, fine. You could reconstruct the whole thing to make it more equal, where they're kind of both prepared for it and getting the upper hand on one another and yeah. trading off so that it really does end in a believable stalemate. Like Edward should know Mustang well enough to work around him and make this draw 
completely earned on both sides. It would have to be a longer episode, though. It, it would even have to be arguably the length of a Naruto fight. I think I think if you were to do restructuring like that and make this a, a good fight scene, you would have to move all the beats after the fight scene farther up, end this episode during the fight scene, and then finish the episode in the, or finish the fight scene at the beginning of the next episode. Get, get rid Maybe. of the cat beat. Just literally get yeah. rid of the we're gonna make Mustang take a cat thing. And and make it about more Mustang hiding information about Marco. Yeah. And Edward be like, you give me information on Marco. And Mustang be like, no. And him be like, yeah. I'm gonna kick your ass and then you're gonna give me information on Marco. And because have that think, be the entire motivation. I also think Mustang would be like, because Mustang's like, I'm gonna give you the information anyway. But if you're gonna like give me the opportunity to kick your ass, that sounds great. Yeah, exactly. It would be it would be a lot more fun. And also, mm. we have so many strands going on in this episode. We have got uh, the Trisha thing. We've got the fight. We have the dog. We have the cat. We have Marco. That's yeah. five whole plot lines. <laughs> we have an A, B, C, D, and E plot, and that is so nuts. Can you even imagine? Um, yes, and so if we would just eliminate one, eliminate giving Mustang the cat as a plot line, then we make it a much more succinct episode, and we don't even have to space out the flight like the fight like you said. We can just make cuts and just keep it rolling. Um, yes. I, I want to come back to what you said about getting lucky, because I think we talked about it a little bit last episode when we talked about... Uh, the the trees being able to absorb water yeah and and the show pulling things out of its ass asking you if you care about it and yeah. us being like yes i definitely care about how well you construct your narrative yeah because this show relies on luck so often or relies on oh also you can do this thing and that makes everything okay mm-hmm. and i'm thinking because we read we reread like the final fight scene of full metal a little bit ago and i'm thinking of a particular moment where edward is like very badly in danger. Yeah. And he's only saved by uh, a couple other characters acting in ways that really bring their arcs to a to a, a culling point, I guess. Yeah. And I'm just thinking how much less effective it would have been if he'd gotten out of that situation through luck. Yeah. It, it really is just a worse choice it to solve is. problems. Yes. And... Yeah, so it's 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 a worse way to solve problems if you do it based on luck. Have your characters figure it out. My other issue is actually Mustang's flashback. Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, it's not so much that I don't like it. I I'm fine with him having a flashback and having PTSD. That that makes sense to me. So what's your issue with it? My issue is what it contains. So in this flashback, we see Mustang in a one-on-one close quarter combat confrontation. Say that five times fast. Uh, (laughs) so he's he's in a one-on-one close quarter combat confrontation and that's not what mustang's skill set is built for mustang is not the person you send in to fight one-on-one which we talked about literally in this episode when they're like if somebody gets close to mustang they have the upper hand but if mustang can keep that person at a distance his skill set is from a distance so putting him in a situation so logically we have to think about how he got into this room which basically yeah. means that at some point Mustang was assigned to be spar- part of a recon unit and which he was going into buildings as part of a recon unit in order to look for anybody inside and yeah. he found this child, this militant child, and took out this child one-on-one close quarters. With no backup. With no backup. Um, 
Mustang is not the person to do that. Mustang is the person that you put a mile away and you say, okay, snap, and he takes out a whole block. Like, yeah. he is not the person who was built for this very small recon unit style of combat. That's not what he does. And a military who would send him into that would literally be wasting an asset if because because right. he's at a disadvantage in that situation. Well, he could have died and they would have lost him. He is so valuable to this military. His skill set is so valuable. You want him at a distance doing what he does best, which is from a distance. And, and I it's feel like poor. It's it's literally poor commanding to send him into anything like that. I feel like that's all confirmed in the manga too, because I feel like we see Mustang and and other alchemists like Kimberly operating from a distance and then yeah. they send in non-alchemist troops with guns to yes. do those sweeps yeah so it's not like they didn't have or it's not like they couldn't have asked arakawa right no it's 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 all there it's just it's so it, you know what it is langdon it's convenient no but the, I, I don't have any other issues with the episode though do you no, 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 I'm good. yeah and, and i think <laughs> We finally we finally get to talk about things that are good about the show. Um, yeah. And this episode has plenty. The main one being that this episode is finally, finally funny. funny. The show finally has some kind of character in that we that has that self-assurance that we talked about mm -hmm. a minute ago. One of the things I love about the manga is it feels a lot of times like Edward is telling us this story. Or it's yeah. done from a certain type of third-person limited perspective where events are colored and touched up and toned in ways that wouldn't make sense in real life, but would definitely make sense if a 15-year-old was telling you this is what happened to yeah. him today. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that might be overanalyzing what she does, but I I don't think that it's... But, but the that, consequence that's something is not that we unintended. talk a lot yeah. about when I'm writing The Mystery Candidate, is how much can we add in of that kind of style and that right. kind of humor, because I'm trying to continue it, but like... And and that's one thing we settled on is well, Full Metal Alchemist is told from the perspective of a fifteen-year-old. Right. He's embellishing, he's coloring a story. Right in, in the Amestrian Candidate, because it's a, it's a much more mature mm -hmm. uh, tone and audience. I would argue you can't have Winry whacking people with wrenches because they would be very seriously hurt. Yeah, but in this in this show and in the manga, you definitely can have Winry whacking people with wrenches <laughs> because a kid's telling you this story. Yes. And it makes sense that this episode is the episode to bring in these funny elements because it's actually not based on any canonical material to begin with. Right, yeah. I, I, well, some parts are. But it's based on two omake, which are just bonus stories that a mangaka mm -hmm. will write. They're yeah, not canon. omake and a fork. <laughs> they're not canon. They're optional canon at best. They're intentionally comedic. Um, and the four comma is the same thing. A four comma is just a really short four panel comic that... That's a joke. That's a joke. And usually they're and absolutely material. ludicrous. And one, to the point the, that you can't even look at them and be like, yeah, that's real. One of the perfect examples is, uh, she calls it the parable of the woodcutter. And Alphonse finally gets beyond the door of truth. And truth's like, you're here to reclaim your body. Which body was it? Was it this scrawny, shriveled body? Or was it this sexy body? And you see Alphonse and he's like, the sexy one. And Truth <laughs> basically pushes him back out the door and he's like, I'll come back. I'll get my real body. Yeah. It's it's very funny. That's probably only funny to people who have read the manga and aren't doing this for the first time. But on purpose, funny. Yeah. So this pulls from uh, 
an omake called Flame vs. Full Metal, or Full Metal vs. Flame, depending on where you're localized. Another one called Dog of the Military. And then the miniskirt stuff in particular comes from these four comas. Four coma. So definitely not serious. But in this universe, In this is. universe, who knows? Because in, in the manga universe, Mustang's motivation has nothing to do with miniskirts. It has everything <laughs> to do... It has everything to do with Ishval and making sure that genocides <laughs> don't happen. <laughs> but I really... I think that that... Uh, <laughs> while it is a very funny beat, and while we've praised the voice actor who does it in English and the way that it's animated, and oh, everything, he's wonderful. It, it 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 very badly muddies that uh, that goal of Roy's. Yeah, so it they does. so they really need to come back to that, and they really need to be like, yeah, the miniskirts thing is funny, but he's not but just this, doing it because he's a hoe. Like, right, he's this doing isn't it for a joke. I'm very serious about wanting to become the Fuhrer, and and I have plans with that. Yeah, um, I have great, big, beautiful plans. All that to say that this that this episode was born from Frankenstein together, this intentionally comedic bonus material. And um, that's probably why it feels a little bit cluttered at times, is because it has so much bonus material. that Like, there wasn't enough bonus material to stretch out. Right. And so they layered so much into it. But that the it, clutter is, is well handled. It, it is it, well handled. I, I actually don't even think the episode feels cluttered, although there are four or five things going on. That's what I want out of a show. Yeah? Yeah. I want right. I want a show to have lots of things happening at once. Okay. So, so I, I don't consider that clutter, and I'm very much eager to have more of that. Because that's, especially when your pacing is right, as it is most of the time in this episode, that's you just telling me a good story and showing mm-hmm. me things. I mean, like, I need to pay attention to this for a second, but that's not what we're talking about this episode. And I'm thinking about Trisha specifically when I bring yeah. that up. Uh the stuff with Alphonse and the cat and the way that they're cartooning him now is oh, yeah. good. And it's good that they're no longer scared to do the cartooning because they... Yeah. Well, I hope they, it sticks. I hope it sticks I'd and I think... I'd be real sad because the thing is a lot of like... It's it's in the kind of the way that beats play out. When beats play out in this, if like Edward and Alphonse get surprised by something, it's real mm-hmm. slapstick, super over-the-top surprise versus yeah. in earlier episodes they'll play it straight and and so i'm very worried if they're not working directly from manga material or arakawa's humor that they're gonna go back to playing it straight i yeah. am worried about that one thing i did notice with this episode because we told you guys we looked this up sometimes it's, it's written by the main show writer so the, yes. so the writer is not gonna save us here but the director this is their first episode working on the show yes. so i'm gonna pay attention and see if this person comes back because it looks like each because because considering this like a, a thirteen episode season mm-hmm. in quotes, uh, I think each director only got one episode, oh. and I don't know how I don't know how the breakdown is done in real life. But uh, I'm curious to see if this person comes back and does more episodes. If the if each episode is noticeably improved, I'm also curious to see if we'll backslide next episode. Yeah, I'm yeah I'm interested and a little bit scared of that. I, I'm scared as well. Uh, but back to the back to the comedy stuff. Um, all the things with Hyatt hair, good, like the pun that you mentioned. Yes. Inu, ine. Um, the fight is funny. Mini skirts is funny, obviously. Sorry for being... <laughs> Remember when we were like, Full Metal sets feminism back a hundred years? Now Diane and Langdon are doing it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a beat that ever really 
it even watching it for the first time as a kid, it never landed for me. It just it yeah. felt incongruous with with the character that they were also trying to present to me outside of that. Beat. Exactly, and and that's my main issue with it. I understand why they put it in, mm-hmm. but it really muddies a really important beat for Roy. and a really important yeah yeah. Um, all, all all this all this to say that there's been a noticeable improvement overall with the show. It feels like a different <laughs> show this episode. It does, which yeah, is, which is cool, yeah. It and, feels and like the team woke up. But it's also it's also why we're worried about that backslide. Um, yeah. The animation is improved. The pacing is improved. There's It's actually funny now, which is great. Yes. It also feels like a turning point for the series. Because before mm-hmm. we'd been doing done-in-ones or, or done-in-twos, which we were getting, we'd been getting sick of for a bit. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like we're finally out of it now. Yes. This episode ca- can count as a done-in-one, certainly. But they're seeding a lot of stuff. And planting things that are going to pay off later. Yes. Um, yes. It finally feels like we're getting into the story. Yeah. It Marco's does. now become a plot nice. thread that's being that's being spooled out instead mm-hmm. of done in one. Right. Uh, Boss Grand as a villain spooled out instead of done in one. This Trisha lookalike introduced but not addressed. Yeah. So so add that to the list of questions and we'll see if that one gets answered. And what I like is that I'm having questions about the show where I don't know the answers. Yeah, same. Um, and and I started watching uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion recently, separately from you. Sorry. Okay. Uh, and I started reading a new manga that I that I've been waiting for. And what's been exciting about those series is in these first intro chapters and episodes is them introducing things that I don't know where they're gonna go. Yeah. And me getting like. Me, like, starting to guess things and be like, I wonder if that's going to be like this. Or I wonder how that will play out ultimately. I wonder how that's going to impact things. I'm starting to get those questions about this narrative, which I wasn't even really expecting to get. Yeah. Because of how closely it follows the manga. But now that that deviation seems to be starting, I'm really, really excited about it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, so what do we got next time? Next time, we are going to be in the first episode of our, quote, new season. Um, new intro, though, new outro. Honestly, this episode feels like the new season. New budget. Uh, new budget, hopefully. This, uh... It does, yeah. So, so and, and my other my other theory about that, about this feeling like the first episode, is that maybe... It could be. It... <laughs> not, um, not, well, give me, give me one more second before we go get into that. Uh, <laughs> but I kind of wonder if this was picked up for 13 episodes and they were like give us 12 episodes give us a 13th episode that could spin off and give us a 13th episode to cut it because i know that that happens at least with american animation yeah i don't know if that would happen here um so i wonder if the new the the budget and everything that we're feeling now is because those first episodes were getting success but the production Mm -hmm. schedule doesn't seem like it would allow that so i'm really curious where this production value came from in this specific episode yeah it's weird but the thing is, this this does feel like it. It this could be the first episode. Like you be, kind yeah. of need Lior to introduce Edward. You use well because we want to set up what what's her face, I guess. Um, and then this Lyra, Lyra, and then you could have this, and that's honestly all you need to get us to this episode. We don't need anything else mm-hmm. from the entire setup. We don't even need the train episode because we can just introduce Roy at the beginning of this one. Yeah. It's just, he's the Flame Alchemist. This could be the first time we see Flame Alchemy and just be blown off our asses. Uh, we need Show Tucker somewhere, I would argue. We could put him after. But, but yeah, I agree. We could we could start with this episode and the stuff from Lior, the stuff from Usewell, the stuff from Show Tucker could be spread across the next few episodes. I wouldn't even mind if this happened before Lior. 
I would. I think Lior is a very classic start. Yeah. So it's... Oh, oh, I'm not saying it would be better. I'm just saying I wouldn't mind. Okay, well, I just feel like if you're structuring Full Metal Alchemist in any way, you need to intro- you need to come out the gate with the Lior arc because it is so iconic to the well, series that if you were to start it without Lior, people would be like, what are you doing, and, man? And we've looked at chapter one a bunch and been like, if we were teaching a class on how to write a long form serialized narrative... That's how you do it. That's if, how you if write you guys, one. Yeah, if you guys want to write like a pilot when I, or a, a first issue comic book, read Full Metal Chapter 1 and just do that exactly. But as we were saying, next episode uh, is called Destruction's Right Hand. And it looks mm-hmm. like we're going to see Dr. Marco. Yes. And also Alex Lewis Armstrong, which yes. is what you're happy about. Of course. And then also Alphonse doing something. No way. <laughs> I don't buy it. Yes. I'll believe it when I see it. But he scr- we hear him scream in the in the sort of preview. I won't let you take my brother, and yes. then that's that's it. Yes. So I, I'm really excited for next episode. Um, and I, I know we ended another episode like this before, but you want to go watch it right now? Yes.